what would the hallmarks of a smart city be for a municipality that wants to sneak in the smart city project? Okay, so I, I would say if they're trying to sneak it in, they're using terminology that um, you know you're not familiar with. So the first time I read the OCP from Kamloops, nothing really jumped out at me, and then I actually spoke to Adrian at uh, coap.ca. I'll plug it again. And she put me on to some other words, which I looked up. So some of the words you need to look for are things like compact neighborhoods. That's talking about densification. Another word for a compact neighborhood um, is mixed use centers. These are, these are just euphemisms for 15 minute city. So they're going to divide up your city and all the urban areas into these little zones. And then they're going to center everything there. Um, the other words you need to look for are complete streets and complete neighborhoods. Um, so like to the lay person, when you read this, it doesn't, it's not so obvious. And I've seen different words used in different municipalities. So that's why I really stress to everybody is to read it and understand it and then read it again, then talk to the city and then go read it again. And it'll make so much more sense when you understand the words that they're using. We are so pleased to have Jeff Snyder joining us as our special guest speaker on tonight's Empower Hour. As a concerned and informed citizen, Jeff exposes the incremental and subversive policies that our civic leaders are putting in place as they support the fictitious Climate Action Plan. Jeff provides plenty of evidence to prove that the globalists are lying when they claim that we are at the precipice of a global climate catastrophe. We are so grateful for the stand Jeff has taken and the information he shares in his bid to expose this false agenda. Jeff, hello and welcome to the Empower Hour. Hi, everybody. Can you hear me okay? We sure can. Welcome. Thank you, Heather. Um, well, Jeff, I've been uh, excited to have you on the show ever since a couple of weeks ago. I saw your presentation, and I think this is just really great information uh, and very beneficial to the public so they know how to address this at the civic level with their mayors and city councils. And so welcome to the show. I'm, I'm just going to encourage people as well, uh, when we post the Power and Power Hour on video, um, it is getting tens of thousands of views, and so I want to encourage our viewers as well. Please make sure that you sign up with the Empower Hour and then make sure that you share this vital information. Okay, Jeff, I'm just going to pass that on over to you and we'll get into this. Okay, thank you, Tanya. And uh, I guess I'll just start off by giving a quick introduction about myself. So my name is Jeff Snicer. I'm originally from Kamloops, British Columbia. And for the last uh, 23, almost 25 years, I've worked in the oil and gas industry in drilling. I worked and lived all over the world, and I'm also a uh, professional uh, project manager, or sorry, project management professional. I hold that certification. Um, I think I hold a unique perspective on what's going on in Canada, being that I've been away for a long time, and I've come back year after year, and uh, I was aware of the changes happening. So uh, I think that's kind of the root of my concern, and, and that's probably what uh, triggered me to get involved at the level that I am right now. So uh, with that said, uh, I'm going to start my presentation. Uh, this should take about uh, 45 minutes. Being that, being that I'm originally from Kamloops, uh, I decided to use Kamloops as an example. And just give me one second here. 
Okay, so I'll just give this quick disclaimer. So I'm not an expert in 15-minute cities. I'm, I'm just a guy. But uh, I, what I did is I spent a lot of time researching this and trying to back everything up. And I'm going to try and provide that information. So I'm going to show you what's uh, said in black and white. And then I'm going to tell you my opinion. I, I share a lot of the same opinions as Tanya and Action for Canada about why this is happening. But I, I want to show you what's actually in black and white and what you can take to your city councils and where to find that information. So all this research is held online if you want to download it. That's at getawake.ca slash community slash smart hyphen cities. And the idea there is that uh, anybody can go on there, create an account anonymously, and you can post your own research for your own city. Because I believe that the only way we're going to solve this problem is by everybody working together. So this presentation will be about 45 minutes. Uh, I'll just give you a brief background of where I think these policies are coming from. I'm going to give you a full list of all the links where you can uh, find the information, and that'll be in the PDF presentation that you can download. Uh, I'll talk about the climate action programs and the climate action charter, how that fits into it. I'll go through Kamloops's uh, specific plan, and I'll show how it's related to these other legislations. Then briefly, we'll get into smart city and 5G. And we'll come to some conclusions and some strategies about how you can try and fight this in your local area. So uh, this is a great analogy. Um, you know, some, sometimes we struggle to explain to other people why these policies are bad. And that's because there's a lot of good stuff in there. And then there's a little bit of bad stuff. And we like to use the expression, it's, it's a teaspoon of sugar with a drop of cyanide. So. Where this is all coming from is from the uh, Sustainable Development Goals. Uh, I won't go through all of these, but here's a link for anybody who's not familiar with these. You can go and research that in your own time. And basically what's happened is the United Nations has put forward the 17 goals. Um, they were adopted by the federal government and then the provincial government, and it's been pushed out to the regional districts and the municipal uh, municipalities in Canada. So. Really what's happening here is the United Nations is doing an end run around democracy in Canada and their policies are directly being um, taken up by the municipal level. So I, I kind of broke this down into three levels. I see the smart city situation is coming in three distinct phases. Uh, one is the Greenhouse gas emissions cutting. So this is where they talk about limiting your, your greenhouse gas emissions, tracking your carbon. This is where the vehicle restrictions, the thin streets, the traffic controls, that's where that's coming from. And then you also have the 5G street lights, the cameras, and this is the track, trace, and control section of the smart city. This is what makes it, quote, smart. And then you also have the 15-minute city uh, section, which is completely redesigning the way that the cities are built. And that's gonna be uh, all based on densification and stopping all development outside the city limits. So the city will be focusing everything in one area. They want everybody living in one place where you have no vehicle and where you're easily tracked and controlled. So I look at this as full government control. And then if you include CBDCs and digital ID, which we all know is coming, then you know it kind of completes the fence around you and you're, you're essentially 100% controlled by the government at this point. So here's an example of the sustainable development goals. This is from the uh, official community plan, otherwise known as the OCP. If you don't know what OCP is, it's official community plan. 
So this is from the city of Duncan in British Columbia. And you can see here that they have, um, they have all the SDGs right there. Uh, just a quick question technically, can I uh, annotate on the screen? I don't have that option on my side anymore. Uh, if you wave your cursor, we could actually see what you're doing if, if that helps. Okay, I'll just, I'll wave my cursor. All right, moving on. So where the BC government keeps all this information, they have a, uh, well, there's, there's several websites, but the main one is called Clean BC, and it has something called the Roadmap to 2030. So this outlines the government's plan, how they're going to reach their goals by 2030 and then by 2050. And if you go on there and you wonder where the cities and the municipalities are getting this from, it's all laid out. The government has told them exactly what they're supposed to do, and they've all adopted the same plans. So there's this roadmap. You can check all the links. I highly recommend everybody reads through this. And there's also something, and a, a lot of people have made the comment. They say, wow, uh, I had no idea that the smart cities were so far along, and this just started recently. And I want to point out to everybody that this actually started officially in 2007. So that was when the, the BC Climate Charter um, started. And, and what that is, is basically an ideological, it's a non-legally binding ideological charter that all the municipalities and regional districts sign on to. And it's tied to funding and other programs that we'll look at in a minute. And they, they have to say, we believe in anthropogenic uh, climate change and it's an emergency. So pretty much every municipality has signed on to this as far as I know. And one other thing is that some of the municipalities in BC have declared climate emergencies. And that basically makes it so they have to look through every single city policy through the lens of climate. Um, there's some changes in the BC legislation we need to know about. A uh, big one is the zero carbon step code. So just this year in May, uh, the first step uh, happened and all new buildings must be 20% more efficient. And it's just culminating in the year 2030 uh, when the BC building code will require all new buildings to be zero carbon. So zero carbon, this is not net zero. This is zero carbon. That means no gas and that means no wood burning. So this is the elimination of our uh, kind of traditional heating for our houses. They want everything to be electric and on a heat pump. Uh, in addition to that, there's the Zero Emission Vehicles Act, the ZEV Act. And this basically says it's going to be illegal to sell any vehicles with emissions after 2040. This is the actual law in British Columbia right now. The NDP government wants to go a step further and make it by 2035. So we're talking 10 years from now, guys, that it's they're going to try and make it so you can't have a car. And, you know, they're publicly saying this, but I don't think people are really processing what this means and how it's going to affect their life. And, and this is uh, going to be key when we look at these cities. Uh, here's, I won't go through this, it's, it's just a quick list. These are all the links to these acts and legislation. Highly recommend you go through and read for yourself. Uh, here's the Zero Emission Vehicles Act. So you can see here by 2030 that at least 30% of all new vehicles must be zero emission. And by 2040, it's in the law, 100% must be zero emission. And then at the bottom here, you can see prohibition. So here it's saying it will be against the law to sell a vehicle that's not zero emission by 2040. Climate action programs, um, we'll talk about the LG cap. The LG cap is a local government climate action program. 
So th this is basically a funding program for the regional district and cities. And as long as they've signed on to the, uh, the climate charter and pledged their ideological allegiance, they qualify for funding underneath this. And there's some interesting presentations you can watch from the government and see exactly how that works. This is the chronology of how things un unfolded in Kamloops. So again, I just want to make the point that this did not just start. This didn't start during COVID. The plans have been in motion for a long time, and it's only just kind of coming to the surface now as more people are talking about it. So in 2007, Kamloops signs the Climate Charter. Uh, they pledge their allegiance. In 2008, uh, this Local Government Act, it's a statute that requires all municipalities to report their greenhouse gases and include that in their official community plans. That was, uh, well, that was 15 years ago that happened. 2010, Kamloops releases a document called the Sustainable Kamloops Plan. The Sustainable Kamloops Plan is just the Kamloops versions of the SDGs, almost word for word. 2018, Kamloops releases its latest official community plan. It includes uh, GHG reductions and commitments to transit and uh, densification. And it is at that same time, they started work on the Climate Action Plan, which we'll get to in a minute. So they knew it was coming. And in 2021, they released the Community Climate Action Plan, the CCAP. So this here is that act from 2008 that says here at the bottom, local governments are now required to include targets, policies, and actions to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. So that is the law in British Columbia. They have to include targets and policies, but does that mean they legally have to do it? I'm, I'm not sure. Um, these are just some terminologies specific to Kamloops. You might find something similar in your own city plan. So there's future plans, there's action plans, there's strategies. Uh, you guys need to familiarize yourself with the lingo for your local municipality because they're a little bit different. Um, and you, you're not going to find something like uh, really obvious, like there's a plan here to build a 15-minute city to, to contain you as a human being. You need to read between the lines and understand what these mean. Some of the words that you'll find useful to search for, uh, growth boundary. So in the OCP, which is the official bylaw for the city, they've set growth boundaries, knowing that in the future, they're going to build little 15-minute or uh, five-minute urban areas within the larger city. So everybody will be within these growth limits. Um, some other words you might look for is reduce, restrict, and decrease. So this is where you'll start to find where uh, greenhouse gases are being reduced and traffic is being reduced. And you need to pay attention to the word compact and complete. Uh, these are just uh, euphemisms for 15-minute uh, cities. And a new one that I just added to this presentation today, which is MAAS, and that's movement as a service. So I'll, I'll get into this a little later, but if anyone's familiar with software as a service, you'll understand the, uh, the implications there. Now, uh, just before we go on, I just want to say very quickly, I think everybody, before you do talk to the council, you have the people that work for the city there. They are a resource. And I think everybody should go through and look at your org chart for your city, find out who's who, who does what, and start making phone calls and emails and just be polite and ask for information. And if you have questions, I highly recommend you set up meetings and go see people face to face. And uh, the key here is just to be nice and, and compliment people and be friendly. And you'll see that there's just friendly, nice people on the other end in most cases. 
and you can get a lot of information and find out um, more key things to look into on your end. And at, at least, the very least, it'll give you uh, an insight into what to talk about when you talk to your city council. So the OCP, otherwise known as the official community plan, uh, as I mentioned earlier, this is pretty much the official bylaw for the city. Everything that happens in the city must be congruent with the OCP. So I say this is the big daddy plan of the city. And here you have the bylaws, there's future plans. And what we're going to look at is the existing plans and strategies. And underneath that, we have the TMP, which is Transport Master Plan, and the CCAP, which we'll look at, which is the uh, Community Climate Action Plan. And then, of course, underneath this, there's implementation strategies. But the point is that the OCP, uh, in most cases, is done a little bit vague to allow for these specific plans to be done. But if one of these plans does not jive with the OCP, then they either have to change the OCP or they can't do the plan. So if we can change the OCP to put in things that we want, that's very useful knowledge. Here's an example here from the transportation master plan. Uh, I'm just highlighting here, it says complete streets and complete neighborhoods. So just so you can see the terminology there. And this is right from the Kamloops TMP. Now, this inverted pyramid shows where the focus is for the city. Okay, so number one, they want everybody walking. Number two, they want them on active transport like cycling. Number three, they want them taking uh, city-owned transit. Number four, they're going to make uh, space for movement of goods and services. So this is your industrial transportation. Number five is car sharing. And way down at the bottom is single occupant vehicles. So the uh, Kamloops Climate Action Plan. So this is underneath the official community plan in Kamloops. Uh, it was created with uh, help from some consultants. So you'll find the same thing in your cities. Um, these plans are not written by the city themselves. The city, of course, has input. It's specific to the city. But generally, there's some sort of consultant group that's called in to write these plans. And I, I think you'll also find that the, the plans are the same. Uh, across the Western world. The plan for Kamloops is the same as the plan for Vancouver, is the same as the plan for Toronto, is the same as the plan for London, England. All the same words and terminology are used. The only thing that's changing is the, the city. Um, now, this was authorized in 2019 but they uh, to start work on it, but I understand they actually started work before then. And it lays out eight big moves, uh, which are these ambitious uh, strategies that they want to change uh, how we do business and how we live our lives in Kamloops. So here's just some more talk about the eight big moves and the 24 strategies. Uh, here you can see they're, they're referencing the, the emergency need to keep the temperature rise below 1.5 degrees Celsius. And I, again, I just want to make a comment here that uh, I, I don't agree with this based on all the research and evidence that I've seen through my life that, that this is a real thing, but the people that are implementing this in the city have been taking presentations and learning and all this stuff for 10 years, some of these workers, that this is an actual thing. And they all believe, maybe not all of them, but a lot of them believe in their hearts that this is real, that climate change is real. So you have to keep that in mind when you're dealing with the uh, city workers and the councils. So uh, one of the big moves here is uh, the car light community. 
And here they're talking about reducing greenhouse gases. Let me just go back. Here we go. And down here at the bottom in this red box, uh, you'll notice here it says by 2050, 50% of trips in Kamloops are to be by active transport and transit. So that means there's going to be 50% less private vehicle trips. Okay. And, and we'll just keep that in mind. They're telling you, they're telling you there will be 50% less private vehicles at least by 2050. Here they're showing us where the emissions are coming from. So one of the main goals of this climate uh, action plan is to reduce emissions because we have to keep it under 1.5 degrees. This is where they're coming from. And you can see here that 66% of the greenhouse gas emissions from Kamloops are coming from transportation and 29% are coming from uh, buildings and industry. So how this breaks down um, in Kamloops, 97% of the power, uh, if I remember right, comes from hydroelectric, which is renewable and there's no emissions. So the only thing that they can cut to get the reductions is your personal transport and affecting the home that you live in. And that's it. There's no other way for them to meet these targets. Okay. They're telling you exactly what's going to happen. So again, there's only three main sources. One is personal transportation. The second one is a, a future source. So when they talk about the 15-minute cities, they think that by changing the zoning and changing how they're going to build the new cities um, for less traffic and more efficiency, et cetera, that it's going to reduce future emissions. Okay, so that's important to know. And then, of course, they also want to increase the number three, the efficiency on the old homes and the old buildings. So this, this will be uh, interesting here. And, and also what's interesting is that the, the main brunt of all these changes is borne by the citizens. As we'll see in a minute, this is not on industry so much or the government, it's, it's all on the citizens. Now, this is a, a chart from the Community Climate Action Plan. And I hope you guys can see my mouse. So this, this blue part here is the emissions from personal transportation. And the green part, the width of this here, this is emissions from industrial. And you'll notice over time, this goes from 2007 in the bottom left-hand corner to 2050. Industrial transportation emissions doesn't really go down. It stays the same. So the only reductions from transportation is coming from personal transportation. And the other reduction that you'll see is coming from Kamloops residential. You'll see that one coming down substantially and a little bit from commercial. So you'll also notice too, over in the corner here, um, where this blue part of the chart pinches out to zero, they're saying that there will be zero emissions by 2050. So that means anybody who owns a hot rod, anybody who has a diesel truck that's got 300,000 miles, you know, all, all these vehicles are going to be taken off the road somehow. Their goal is to make it zero by 2050. Okay, and this is a huge change. And the question we should be asking is, can you switch all of the cars to zero emission vehicles? Well, according to Kamloops, you're not going to need to because uh, we're all going to be riding e-bikes and taking the bus. So that is a monumental um, shift in how we live our lives. This means no more personal vehicle ownership. And they're going to try and shift everybody over to this ride sharing situation, which we'll get more into. So I did go and visit the uh, some of the planners at the city and I asked them, um, you know, and I had a great conversation for an hour and a half with a fellow. He seems like a very nice guy. 
I don't believe everything he believes, but like as a person, seems like an okay guy. And I, I spoke to him for a long time and, and I asked him seriously, I said, you know, this 80% reduction seems like a massive change. Like, are, did you guys just pick random numbers as his pie in the sky? And he assured me that they pick targets that they know that they can meet. And I, I asked him again, I said, well, how are we going to do this? And he, he straightly looked me in the face and said that the changes will be on par with World War II and the COVID lockdowns. So this is the person who's in charge of implementing this at the city. This is what they think is going to happen. Okay. This is what they think is going to happen. It's not a secret. So talking about whether or not this is possible, here's some information from BC Hydro. Um, I'm not going to talk about this, but it's there for your reference later in the presentation. I will talk about this briefly. Um, This chart here shows the net sales of gasoline and diesel. Okay, and that you should add three more zeros onto this. So this is actually billions, not millions. And what you can do is a very simple calculation to figure out the kilowatt hours in gasoline and diesel. And you end up with these terawatt numbers here at the bottom. And on the next slide, I'll show you why that's important. So in 2019, British Columbia, uh, BC Hydro, this is including their hydroelectric dams and their gas-powered energy plants in northern BC, produced 64 terawatt hours. And that's exactly, uh, it's 63 terawatt hours of energy from oil and gas that we need to replace by switching to vehicles. So now that we've quantified this, I think people can start to see the problem. We would literally need to double the output of electricity in British Columbia to go from gas-powered vehicles to electric vehicles. Now, there are some arguments. They say uh, electric vehicles are more efficient, which is true. Yes, but this this is a monumental undertaking, even if you consider this uh, extra efficiency from the electric vehicles. And one other point, uh, this is just for anybody who's watching across Canada, where you may not be 100% on hydro. If you're in Alberta and you're using uh, coal-fired or natural gas or somewhere else, that if, if you take into account other energy sources that are not renewable, after that energy is, is burned and everything, it gets transmitted on the grid and then it gets charged into the battery, that's taking efficiency all along, all the way to your vehicle. And you actually end up with the exact same efficiency for electric cars as you do for internal combustion engines. And actually the most efficient is still diesel, believe it or not, even more than an electric vehicle. And here's some information on that. You can find more on the website. I won't go through the details, but it's there for you guys to look at later. Um, So we're talking about what's happening here. And and this isn't to do with Canlips. I just found this today. I went through uh, Victoria, BC's smart mobility plan. And this is stakeholder capitalism. So this is 2030. You will be happy. Maybe you won't be happy, but you're not going to own anything. Okay, the government and corporations are going to own everything. So they want a grant from the uh, Smart Cities uh, project from Infrastructure Canada. And their plan is to use mobility as a service. So how we work right now, the only mobility as a service there is, is if you take the bus or if you hire a taxi. Okay, but if you own a car, you have ownership of mobility. You own mobility. But what they want to do here is... And listen to the words, an innovative shift, innovative, from personal vehicle ownership. They're talking about you giving up all of your 
freedom and liberty to move around and give all of that power to third parties, okay? And worse than that, in their, their smart trip planning uh, payment system, uh, what they want to do is combine all the movement as a service providers and link it all into one managed system. So there will be one system that will, of course, be controlled and accessible by the government that controls your bus, your e-bike, your EV, all that stuff. You won't own anything. Your transportation within the city will depend 100% on the government, which is absolutely uh, bonkers. I can't believe that anybody would go for this. So just really quickly about the 10-minute city, this is one of the big moves in the climate action plan. Um, here they're showing you the reduction. So we see transport, transportation personal and then transportation industrial. So they think they're going to reduce um, these greenhouse gas emissions by designing the city so that no one has to drive. So this almost all the focus on these 10-minute cities is stopping cars and stopping driving because that's the main source of emissions. There's a couple points in here we need to talk about. This is saying the quiet part out loud. So this is here in black and white. We can see exactly what the plan is saying we should do. So I'm just going to read these out. Pursue opportunities to convert select space temporarily at first, which means permanently later, into prioritized pedestrian areas. Okay. With vehicle access limited to local residents, how are they going to do that? Businesses and emergency vehicles only. Very interesting. Think about how are they going to limit access to local residents? Is there going to be a gate, an armed guard? Are you going to have to scan a pass to access your road? Or is it going to be done? Those are all expensive options. So it's probably going to be something easy and cheap, like some sort of wireless device that tracks you, maybe your digital ID, maybe a tracker on your car that you're going to need to drive around. So I, I would keep your eyes open for that. Identify suitable streets to implement reduced road width. This is otherwise known as thin streets uh, or diet streets. And what they're talking about is taking existing roads and converting them. So you can see this, uh, an example would be Pandozi in Kelowna was four lanes, and they converted it to two lanes with giant uh, bike lanes. And then uh, in other areas, they're, they're talking about completely getting rid of the streets, which is the next point. Implement low traffic neighborhood projects that extend pedestrian zones to multiple urban blocks. And this is the important part with emergency vehicle access only. So the first time I read this, I said, hey, that doesn't sound very good. The second time I read it, I focused in on the word urban. And I said, well, surely urban means just downtown. So they might take one city block where there's some apartment buildings, but they'll still keep main roads. Unfortunately, according to Kamloops, this is the uh, map of Kamloops, and you'll see here yellow is urban. It's kind of hard to tell. It looks like it's brown. That's because of all the property lines. But the entire city is urban. So they've just written a plan where they can block off entire blocks anywhere in the entire city. And I doubt that anybody in Kamloops is aware of that. I'm sure a lot of people would like traffic controls to stop people speeding through their neighborhoods, but I'm sure a lot of people would be upset if they found out that no vehicles would be allowed in their neighborhoods. Examples of this happening in real time. So this just happened on May 15th. Uh, again, if we go back, um, remember they were talking about uh, right here, temporarily at first, okay? So it's already happening right now. 
Here we have on May 15th, uh, this is the article. And pay attention to the language here. It says uh, they're going to block off the roads around, uh, I think it's Arthur Hatton Elementary School. And they're first, they're saying it's for the safety of the children. Okay. So you have to pay attention to the wording here. Safety of the children, but they're going to block off the roads. And it's even going to apply to the local residents who live there. So it's not really clear how that's going to work, but that's being implemented right now. And then if you read this, it says the programs of this nature often start with a pilot project and have developed into seasonal and permanent implementation, depending on the school. So they're very excited about this. And if you read what they say further, the purpose is to improve safety. One word about safety, and then 20 words about restricting your vehicle access. Encourage active modes of travel by prioritize walking and cycling, rolling for children, their caregivers, and of course, teachers. They don't want anybody driving cars. That's the driving force behind this. And I put this little uh, uh, bear claw trap here, trapper trap, just to, to show you guys, like if you go in and you talk to city council and you talk to other parents about this, like if you talk to a parent and say they're limiting traffic around the school, I'm a parent, I would say, that's great. That's a great idea. I want my kid to be safe. So you need to make sure that you don't fall into the trap of arguing against keeping kids safe, okay? So the other greenhouse gas reductions, uh, this is coming from the BC uh, step code. So the zero carbon step code starting in 2030. Uh, you guys might remember a month or two ago, there was a big thing on American media. They were talking about how there was a, they're calling it a conspiracy that they were gonna ban gas, um, gas stoves and gas heating in homes. Well, it's not a conspiracy in British Columbia. It's, it's right here, it's in the BC building code by 2030. It will be zero carbon, not net neutral. It will be zero. So that means there will be no gas, no wood burning, anything approved after 2030. Also, all the new buildings are going to come with uh, reduced requirements for parking. So right now in your city, your municipality probably has requirements for zoning. If, if you build a house in a certain area, it must have parking for at least 1.5 vehicles or something along those lines. And what you're going to see is that all the new buildings approved after this are going to come with zero or 0.5 vehicles or only parking for e-bikes because they know that they're going to ban all the cars from the road. So this is not a conspiracy. And then the other thing we need to pay attention to is the retrofit of all the old buildings. Okay, so do they want to install smart meters on all these old buildings? We'll talk about why that's bad in a minute. And they want everything on electric which means you're fully dependent on one utility and the government. And if you're on a smart meter, you'll see why that's an issue. And we'll also talk about this PACE program here in a minute. So what's the issue with smart meters? A good example is in Colorado. I think this was last year. Uh, 22,000 customers were locked out of their thermostats because they installed smart thermostats in their homes. So what happened was the power company decided that they had too much power draw because of whatever situation, and they just locked those people out to deal with the power draw. So some people are going to say, well, yeah, you know, that's better than everybody losing their power, but it's showing how the utility company and eventually the government is actually right inside your house. Because what they could have done is just shut the power off and then everybody would have been treated the same. But now they're in your house, they know what you're doing, and they're, they're playing around with your temperature. And there's certain places in Europe right now where they're passing legislation. Uh, where you're not allowed to have the heat in your house in the wintertime over 19 degrees Celsius, if you can believe that. I think that's, uh, I'll have to double check, but I heard that's happening uh, somewhere in Scandinavia and Northern Europe. 
very quickly, we'll talk about this PACE program. So typically, um, when you buy a house, the first lien holder, the first place mortgage is your bank. So if you don't pay your mortgage, they get the right to foreclose on your house. But what this PACE program does is they recognize that your old house, it's going to take, um, you know, a lot of money, like 10, 20, 30, 40, $50,000 to completely redo your house. They want it to be energy efficient, airtight. So that means redoing um, everything, taking the gas out, putting it onto electric, putting in a heat pump, redoing um, the drywall probably after all this is done. This is going to be big renovations. And then you get to do, uh, uh, forgive me, I can't remember the name. There's a test you do and they'll, they'll measure the efficiency and the airtightness of your house. So that, that's what they want you to do. So these are big loans and the government wants to give you a loan, but instead of giving you a traditional loan that you have to pay back, it's just going to take first place lien on your house. So now the government, even though they say you don't have to pay it back, and they further say that the loan will just move with the house, it's not really clear how it's ever going to get paid back or why anyone would buy your house if you still owed all this extra money on it. The government now has the right to foreclose on your house. As far as I know, this hasn't been done in British Columbia yet. And I also believe um, maybe someone else can research this and correct me later, but they have to change the legislation to allow the government to take the first place lien because the bank already has first place. So again, is this another vector for 2030 and you won't own anything? Uh, very interesting. There's a report there. I highly recommend everybody reads it. There are a bunch of grants for energy efficiency on your home. Um, there's some links here. You can actually search by province. I know there's a Canada-wide uh, audience here. I think the one, it's called Energy Hub. You can actually look by province there, and it'll show you all the different programs, federal and provincial. But again, um, that's why we got this big eyeball here. You need to look closely at these grants. So if the government's giving you free money to fix your house, and it's going to reduce your utility costs, I'd go for that. But not if it means that to get that $3,000 for my renovation, I have to install a smart meter. Okay. And that's where you need to read the fine print. And anybody who's installing new stuff in your house, you need to find out if it is a smart, smart meter and a smart thermostat and how that's going to work. So questions we should be asking the city councils about these plans. Um, again, how, how will access be limited to only local residents? They're telling you that that's what they're going to do. So what's their plan to do that? I, I asked that question. I didn't get an answer. So if you can ask your, your city workers and your council members, what is the plan? How are they going to do that? Let them answer that question on their own. Um, in there, they're talking about restricting to emergency vehicles only. So that means that if you're playing by the rules, you love the environment, you believe the world's going to end, you go out and spend $100,000 on a brand new Ford F-150 EV truck, so you can play by the rules, it's not going to affect you, but it is going to affect you. You might live in a neighborhood that gets turned into a no full-size vehicle neighborhood. And the question is, how, how does that help the environment? And what's that going to do to the economy? That has nothing to do with the environment. This is the stuff we need to bring to their attention. They think we're all going to ride e-bikes. How is that going to happen in the wintertime in the snow? It's, it's just not feasible. Um, the grid infrastructure, we talked about how much energy is needed to replace the energy is coming from oil and gas. Um, not only the energy, but also the infrastructure within the city. Who's going to pay for all that? I asked that question. I did not get an answer. Um, so these are things like real factual numbers we should be bringing up. And then how will you afford to heat your home? 
electricity heating is far more expensive than heating with natural gas. You know, how, how many people are on hard economic times? Like this should be an issue in front of city council. This is what people should be talking about. And then again, at the bottom is why, why is the answer to everything more government control? Why do we have to resort to this uh, totalitarian communist state to have these nice things? Why can't we have both? So all these things, they can obviously be abused. Um, in the end, everything just works out that the government has more control over your life. Um, that's not to say that there aren't some good things mixed in with these plans, but the, the bad things are very obvious and they're going to affect your life uh, severely if they are implemented. So I'll talk about uh, smart cities now. Uh, we'll go through the infrastructure and how this ties in. So there's a couple different things we'll talk about is the, the big 5G towers, but a lot of people don't know about the, the small 5G repeaters. It's in the top right-hand corner here. And then we'll also talk about these new street lights um, and how, how those are linked into the 5G uh, network. So what's possible with all this is complete facial recognition, tracking you everywhere you move, license plate recognition. This is full track tracing control. That's what a smart city is. It does other things, but it also does that. So what is a smart device? Anything that you have as a smart device means that it can operate autonomously. So it can do things without your input. That means if it's not doing it for you, who's it doing it for? It's a smart device. It was programmed by somebody. Who programmed it? What's it supposed to do? Okay. Smart devices are there to do something for someone else. It's not for you. How to identify 5G towers in your neighborhood. I, Tanya, I know you have this on your website, so I won't go into details, but I'll just show uh, there's a link there. And here, this is a picture of Barnhart Vale and Kamloops. A year ago, there was nothing here. And now I think there's 47 of these 5G repeaters. They're spread out every 100 meters in the neighborhood. It's unreal how fast they go up. And we'll talk about that in a second. So this is what they look like. Up here on the top, this is the antenna. Okay, this, uh, this white tube coming down, this comes from the main power. This comes down into a little control box. I'll call it the control module. And then you see these two wires coming off to the right-hand side. These are the ground wires that run straight into the ground off of the pole. And then there's the main power there. So if you look, these might be in your neighborhood already, but you can definitely find them on that cell map. And any cluster of antennas, it won't, necessarily differentiate between 5G or normal band because they do operate in the same bandwidth in some cases. But you can just see a big blob of them and you can actually go right down to the, the street level and find these on the telephone poles. This one belongs to TELUS, by the way. So we have uh, these LED smart street lights and these are already installed. These are everywhere. These were installed years ago. The funding uh, was done for these years ago. This is already a done deal. And um, I'm not sure if you guys can see my mouse, but I'm just making a circle around this camera on the top of the, uh, the LED light. There's a little socket on the bottom, which you can screw in any sensor. And it's just a click and snap. It takes two minutes to pull one sensor out and put another sensor in, and then it joins into the 5G smart grid. So, they say they're going to do this for traffic monitoring, and then there's going to be smart traffic lights and all this stuff. It's all going to be more efficient. It's going to monitor air quality, but it's also going to monitor you. It has the ability to monitor you. Okay, so again, there's a trap here. 
they're doing this all for more efficient streets and all this other stuff. That's what they're going to say. So you can't argue against that. Argue against the privacy. Don't go in and say, I, I like traffic. I like waiting at the light for three minutes when there's no cars, because that's what they're going to tell you. This is all going to fix. So just don't fall into that trap. And if we could queue up the video right now, uh, let's just play the first, uh, first minute of the video. Why is SmartLinks the best tool for your urban data collection? Our SmartLink solution is extremely compact and rugged, allowing for ease of handling and transportation of hundreds of units on a single truck. These sensors were designed with reliability in mind and are suitable for the harshest environments. Our suite of city sensors can be easily and safely deployed in minutes with no tools needed. They plug directly into the streetlights you already have. The location high on top of the streetlight helps to prevent theft and vandalism of your sensor infrastructure. And that location gives a bird's eye perspective of the local area, making it ideal for recording many types of sensor data. From start to finish, installation per pole is less than two minutes. Our solution is designed with your privacy in mind, and we work with the city to ensure that storage and visibility of data is reserved only for appropriate use. Livable Cities works with your team up front to review and select installation locations for the highest quality of data collection coverage, offering the most efficient smart city project planning and deployment times in the industry. We've determined some guidelines on which locations are most suitable for capturing critical data. All we need to know are your city's areas of highest concern, and then your data collection can begin. The microsensor also comes with access to the SmartLinks data management software, so you can manage your data analysis online. We know that not every municipality wants another piece of software to learn, so we also offer customizable PDF reports that appear in your inbox at a frequency you get to decide. With SmartLinks subscriptions, you get ongoing support and lifetime warranty for the hardware. We equip you with online resources and technical support to ensure low-maintenance data collection to help better inform decision-making and help to safeguard your community. SmartLink's microsensor solution offers new scalable ways to get city insights previously unattainable with traditional data collection methods. Our goal is to ensure your teams can work efficiently and that your solution scales without hassle as your digital infrastructure grows. Okay, so the, the key part of that presentation is, I, I, I hope everybody got the audio on that, is that you can install these in two minutes. So the other part that's key is that they use a universal um, connector on the top of these LED lights. So it, it can be any brand of LED light. They've all got the same standard connector and any sensor from any company. So this includes future sensors, which haven't been developed yet, can plug into the light. It's designed to be interchangeable. Okay, so here we have uh, speed monitoring, air quality, noise monitoring. So it's going to listen to you too. And for safety, this is a camera and traffic analysis. This actually tracks uh, cars, and we'll talk about why it also tracks uh, people as well. And then just because it's not installed now, they can come back at any point in the future and just pop whatever sensors in that they want. Uh, so this is showing. Uh, these sensors are millimeter wave sensors. So this is again, uh, coming into this 5G technology. It's kind of the same scanner that you go through in the airport. 
uh, which I've never been through, by the way. And I've traveled around the world about 100 times since 2002, and I've never had to go through one. Just say no. Um, so what this does is it can track different moving objects and tell you the speed. It's very uh, interesting technology, and the price is coming down. So how, how is this being used right now? Uh, here's a real-life example. This is from London, England. So uh, I think it's 2019. Uh, the mayor there, uh, Sadiq Khan, I believe his name is, um, he made an area in the city. It's called the zero emission area. So now if you drive in that area with a vehicle that has uh, emissions, they take a picture of your license plate and you get a fine in the mail. So you'll get like a 12, 12 pound fine for every day that your vehicle is caught in that area. So this is the way that cities are going to start to discourage the use of certain vehicles and then limit your, your use. It's, it's not a law. So what they're doing is they're nudging you. They're trying to change your behavior. So how could this be abused with all this 5G infrastructure and your vehicle? So, um, you know, here we've got a car. This is going to be an EV. It's, it's hooked up wireless. Like I have a brand new Chevy, but for the last 10 years, Chevy's had OnStar. Uh, your Tesla's connected to the internet all the time. Most EVs are always connected to the internet so they can download software updates. This is just the way that the world is going. And I would suspect, I don't know, but if, if I was the government, I would ask them to put a kill switch into certain vehicles, like if you really wanted to control things. And I'm sure that that's where all the EVs are going in the future. So if you're uh, driving now, maybe you have a digital ID with an RFID, whatever it is, you're going through the city and every single street lamp, street lamp is tracking you, tracking your movement, tracking your vehicle. Uh, during the next COVID lockdown or emergency, environmental emergency, they might tell you you're not allowed to leave your 15-minute city. So then you drive to the end of the block and your vehicle just shuts down. So this, this sounds kind of far-fetched, but the technology is, is not uh, something new. Like this has been around for a long time. This could be implemented tomorrow. So as soon as you move over to an EV, um, and this is something that maybe we should address on a federal level in Canada, is that vehicles sold in Canada must not have a universal shutdown switch or something that can allow them to be tracked. Because uh, if they do, it would, it would obviously be abused. Could you imagine if the government had this power um, during the COVID lockdowns? I, I think we would have been in for a, a world of hurt. So uh, what does CISA say? Um, I got this document from uh, Adrian at the, uh, she's from Cowichan Valley. They have a great group out there. It's called coap.ca. Highly recommend you check it out at coap.ca. They've got great information and they've been doing a good job over there. Um, and then this document, and CSIS talks about how bringing in all of our utilities into one centrally controlled area exposes the city to attack. So now whereas you know, there used to be gas, power, everything was distributed, they're going to control everything under one local control station. So if somebody hacks into it, they can shut down the entire city. It also means that citizens are, are being tracked, all that data is there, and that foreign adversaries can track people. You know, China can hack in and track somebody that they're interested in. Say there's a, a Chinese dissident who the Chinese government doesn't agree with, they can hack into our city infrastructure and track that person and spy on them. So these, this is the risks that CSIS identified. And what CSIS says uh, municipalities should do, uh, and I'm, I'm sure you guys did, were not aware of this because uh, your city didn't do this, is an engage citizens early to ensure awareness and understanding of privacy. Be transparent with citizens about the data collected 
and the way that it's handled and stored, and to do your due diligence and make sure that the smart technology is uh, meeting whatever standard and it, it protects the security of Canadians. So this is something, there's a link here. You can find it on the website. You can download this document, take it to your city council, to your city planners, and hit them over the head with it and say, how come you guys didn't discuss the privacy impact with us? Which brings me to this point, the privacy impact assessment. So in British Columbia, there's an act called the FOIPPA, Freedom of Information and Protection of Privacy Act. And in here, any institution which is holding data on you, or a, there's a bunch of different definitions, but a smart city definitely uh, reaches the definition. They have to conduct a privacy impact assessment before implementing this. So we should go to the cities, you should go to your municipality and ask them, where's the private Im privacy impact assessment? Because some cities are already running that smart links software from livable cities, and they're already tracking vehicles and they're tracking people and everything. So get a copy. If they don't have it, um, that's something else you can hit them over the head with. This is just some standards on uh, the, the protocols for these devices and the 5G. Uh, and then we're talking about the proliferation of this technology. So this is a sensor you can buy for 20 bucks on eBay or Amazon. It uses millimeter wave technology and it'll actually link into your home automation system. So Google Home or something like that. And you can program so you lights turn on and do all sorts of stuff. But the, the point is, is that this sensor costs $20 and it'll show you how many people are in the room and where the people are. It's like having radar. Okay. Like they, they, the stuff that's coming out is just game changing. So this kind of changed my opinion on things. Like I don't think that because of the proliferation of this technology that people are going to be able to stop it, but we might be able to control how it's used. And uh, I think Canyon Action for Canada are really good with the law. And I think, you know, this is where we could focus some energy um, because what will happen is they'll, they'll just put this stuff in place and then they'll, get control and then worry about the law later. So where's the danger? Um, well, the UN, the feds, the BC government, everybody's in alignment. This is happening, whether you like it or not, it's been happening for 15 years. You just found out about it today, okay? That's it, that's a fact, you cannot change it. So it's, it's not if, it's when. Um, we need to be looking at how this can be abused. Again, we need to separate the normal stuff like densification, gentrification. This is normal urban planning stuff. You got to separate it out and focus on the stuff and be able to articulately uh, explain that to people. Um, and then we're looking at this PACE program. They might end up owning your house. And then again, everything is limiting your personal transportation and your personal freedom. Why can't we have these nice livable cities? I'll use the example. I was just in Bellevue, Washington. They've done it there. Um, it's all nice high-rises development. It's a very nice place. Um, but right now, people can still drive cars. So if we could have all that nice stuff with these nice streets without all the stuff tracking us and still drive our car, I, I think I'd be okay with that. Um, eventually, things have to change, but we really need to pay attention to this, this other stuff, the nasty stuff. So conclusions being implemented now. Um, again, a lot of the changes in these city plans are good. This is normal city plan stuff. So you've got to be able to differentiate it. Um, the plans definitely include stuff which consolidates control to track you. And this can and will be abused as we see the government always does. The, the growth boundaries are limiting development. So for people in rural areas, you really want to pay attention to this. 
They're changing how the land can be used outside of the city for all the rural people. Um, what they're doing is saying you can't build anymore because they don't want people living out there. They want to force you all into the city and they're going to start limiting what you can do on the land. And they're going to say it's all for the agricultural. They want to preserve. No, it's just to limit you. That's my opinion on it is they're just trying to limit you. So the other thing we need to know, and which is a great fact to bring up with the city councils, is that these goals cannot be met. Switching over to EVs. It's just not possible. There's not enough electricity generation in BC. It would take decades to build more. They're not coming up with all these solar panels and wind uh, turbines to build all this power. It's just not happening. So by necessity, following these suicidal economic plans means you will be giving up your ownership and your right to drive a vehicle. There must be less trips. That's the only way that they can meet these goals. And I think that the guy that I spoke to probably knew this. And I think that's why I couldn't answer the question. And I think that's why you'll have problems getting answers from government, which is why we should bring it up. So as also, Tanya, this is something you, you would probably know better than me. Um, so please feel free to correct me. But as far as I know, there's no legal requirement for the cities to implement this stuff. It's all voluntary at this time. And they're just following the OCP. The only thing they have to do is report their greenhouse gas in the OCP by law, but they don't have to install this stuff. So if we can change the OCP, that makes all those other plans void. And we can remove uh, the potential for abuse out of these plans. So my opinion, again, these changes are ushering a radical change in society, the economy, transferring individual ownership and control to corporations and the government. This is uh, basically an excuse to implement the stakeholder capitalism, um, which the WF likes to talk about. And there was another point I didn't finish, so I'll just move on. Uh, let's talk about taking action here, guys. I've, I've said this a lot of times, and I just keep harping on it. Uh, when you roll into the city and you start talking to the people at the city and you talk to the councils, uh, even when you're talking to the public, you're going to be swimming against the current because they're seeing all the good reasons for this. Oh, less traffic, more this, more that. Who doesn't want to ride their bike to work? That sounds great. So you, you need to be able to articulately differentiate the, the risks from the benefits, okay? Because you don't want to be the guy arguing against having cleaner air and riding your bike to work. So don't run into the city hall hooting and hollering. Um, I would say go, please talk to the city first. Read the plans understand the terminology that they're using in your municipality so that you can speak the same language. Read up first, then go talk to someone at the city, then find out more, and then go talk to the council. I think you'll be much more effective that way. Um, again, we don't want to be, this is a trap set for us. We don't want to be rallying against all the good things in these plans. We just want to talk about the bad things. And if the plan is not to implement these bad things. If it's not a conspiracy to take away your freedom, then the city council should have no problem at all implementing uh, something in the bylaw saying that they're not going to do facial recognition and they're not going to track you and they're not going to invade your privacy. And I, I couldn't imagine too many people in the city being against having that added in. So as a populist uh, demand to put on the cities, I think that would probably go very well with a lot of people once they realize the risks. So here, um, I'm saying update the OCP, change it right now. You can amend the OCP or you can wait till the next OCP is passed, but I would suggest um, lobbying the, the council and the city to change the OCP right now. 
So we don't want to track, and you should put a statement in there that the, the city affirms and recognizes your your free right to travel, just, just like it says in our, our uh, Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And that city, that all citizens should have an expectation to privacy when in the city, and the city will never undertake any measures to track or trace anyone. And you can get into the specifics there. So I've wrote out an example. Uh, another action plan for your OCPs, uh, if you actually get to the point where you are going to amend the bylaw, if it's not a conspiracy to put everybody on digital ID, so you have to buy your groceries and the mark of the beast, then let's have the city put in a bylaw saying that every store that does business, like every Walmart or Safeway, they must have at least one cashier there that accepts cash while the business is open. That's easy to change. And you can argue for uh, older people, retired folks who don't have all this technology, why can't they keep using cash? And the other thing is, is to argue against not using uh, digital ID. So it should never be required to have digital ID uh, to purchase anything in your city. Um, these are some questions for council. I'm not gonna go over this uh, in too much detail. This was uh, from another presentation, Adrian from Coap. that's coap.ca had these questions and I highly recommend you check out their website. Um, they're excellent. They're always dealing with their council and, and they're taking action there. Um, but these are interesting questions you go through along with some of her experiences. Uh, and they also do a lot of FOI requests. So here's some more research. Please guys, uh, the only way we can do this is if we are all looking into this. So I, I managed to put this together over a couple of weeks now, but the, the initial presentation, I think I put together in about two days. I just went down the rabbit hole for a few hours a day. And I used to just store everything on my computer. So I decided, why don't I just put it in a presentation? And this is how this came about. So if, if everybody else picks something off of here and they research it, and we all post our information publicly and share it, it's going to help everybody. And we can continue this uh, discovery and uncover the plans and how to defeat them. And with that, I've talked a lot. I know it's been a long time, so I'm going to stop now. Tanya, thank you so much. Any questions? Yeah, thank you so much, uh, Jeff. Um, I didn't want to rush you in any way. I mean, this, I, as I had mentioned to everybody when I saw you a couple of weeks ago give this presentation, I'm like, this is what Action for Canada is all about. We're about educating people, bringing people on to educate people, and then as well giving them some uh, solutions and some um, options that they can perso personally uh, take part in, right? Uh, this is about our freedom. This is about the future of this country, the existence, not even just in Canada, but, you know, around the world. Everybody is facing this because this is a global agenda. And so um, thank you so much. That was absolutely incredible. We're going to have the Empower Hour posted by tomorrow on the website and available. And I really want to encourage people to share this information. So now what we'll do as well, we'll go into a bit of Q&A. Are you up for that? I, I'm you good. Just give me a second for my voice to come back. But, but go ahead. Yeah, okay. That's all right. Maybe take a drink of water. And uh, I'm just going to mention as well, we're working on a Smart City 15-Minute City flyer that uh, will be ready in the very near future because we think it's very important to have this information so that you can pass it out uh, along, right, to uh, people in your neighborhood, people in your community, your family, co-workers, uh, et cetera. So be prepared for that. 
And of course, you know that Action for Canada has uh, launched a notice of liability. And maybe what we'll do, Terenzio, is um, let's share my screen for a moment. Let me know when that's that working. We're good. Okay, so under current issues, let me just pop down. I'm just going to go to the actual page. And you've got 15-minute cities. And then at the top of 15-minute cities, we're going to put our flyer on this page as well when it's completed, if you want to check back in a few days. Um, but then as well, here's the notice of liability. And we, you would just take this to your uh, mayor and council, city, township, wh wherever you live. And uh, you would put uh, the date and attention, and then you would serve this to them either by registered mail or potentially in person. Uh, but as Jeff said, and as I've said in some of the reports that I've done in the past when we've spoke on this, spoken on this issue, a lot of these mayors and councils think they're doing a good thing because they have been um, inundated with information from the globalists selling this. This has been a whole marketing scheme as you can ma imagine, and incrementally so. Um, as uh, Jeff was talking about the uh, school, right, that they're shutting down, this is about safety. Uh, it's, it's mind manipulation in order to get you to comply. And because this has just been such an ongoing campaign for a over a decade now, uh, there are so many people are buying into it. So please get the notice of liability, assign it, send it. It's an educational tool as well. Ask your mayor and council to read it. Sorry, Terenzio, I forgot to That's say stop okay. share. <laughs> okay. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a great tool in order to start opening up that conversation towards education. And then, of course, we're going to be providing Jeff's information on the website. You, he has just been so generous with the, the uh, PowerPoint that you can print that information off. Uh, you can also send the mayor and council this video and just say, please review this and then get back to me. I have some concerns about this. Find some friends on the council. And then as well, one of our objectives is to, of course, run people in upcoming elections. So again, that we can get some sanity. I keep saying back into humanity. All right. Um, okay, Jeff, how's, how's the vocal cords feeling? I'm back. <clears throat> Are you back? All right. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm just going to go through. Uh, okay. So if we, okay, if we plan to run for municipal council, example, mayor to oppose this, what can we expect in unofficial opposition, say from the UN, who are the or or originators of this brainchild? Hmm. That's an interesting question. I, I don't know that I have a, a real answer for that, but I, I would just say that um, most of the people who work for the city have been taking this information in, uh, like Tanya just said, they've been marketed to for 15 years. So this is the culture within the city. Everything they've been doing for 15 years has been leading up to this. So to go in and just suddenly change everything uh, you're going to find a lot of internal resistance. And I think also on the, the councils, you'll find a lot of resistance. So it's going to have to start with the councillors. And then even if the council gets on board, you're going to have resistance within the, the city itself. Right. And I, I just want to remind everybody as well, uh, I've been proclaiming this for many years, is that the UN is an unelected body. Did you vote for Klaus Schwab at the WEF? 
I didn't. <laughs> How about little Greta? Did any of us vote for her? Do we care what little Greta has to say who's been groomed? You know, as far as this propaganda is concerned, if anything is in violation of our constitution, charter rights, or the coronation oath, it is of no force or effect. And that is what we have to assert. This information, we have to provide it with confidence. We have to go to our mayors and councils and say, are you aware of this? Uh, the UN does not work for the Canadian people. You do. And we have a constitution and charter. That charter says that we get to be mobile. We are um, allowed to work and provide for our families. The liberty, right, uh, is the liberty to work. It's, it's absolutely essential. And so they cannot restrict us. I put a big period behind all this. This is all nonsense. And when we get mayors and city councils in place, I believe that we can just, uh, we're going to call for them to simply overturn this. And every single smart anything on the polls need to be taken down. I want to just ask you as well, like I saw ground wires there. I saw that, you know, these polls attached to something and, you know, people feel like, oh my goodness, all of this is happening around me and I can't do anything about it. And I'm not, I'm not calling for vandalism. You know, Kelowna would just love that. Um, I'm just saying that uh, there's got to be something that we can do in appealing to our mayor and council, because this is taxpayers' money. You were showing us in Barnhartville, 47 of these uh, devices going up. Do you know the cost? So, yeah, just to, to Cam clarify, to those, those devices, Tanya, those actually belong to TELUS. So that's, ah. that's TELUS installing the 5G network. And I, I haven't seen it written anywhere, but to anyone listening who has the time to research, this would be a great avenue of research is what is the future of fiber optic and DSL and cable internet? Because I suspect there is no future and I suspect that the future is all going to be 5G. Why would they continue to provide you internet through a line to your house when they have the 5G? And I think that this is where everything's going to go. And they're going to get rid of all the infrastructure, all the hard lines. Everything will be wireless. And I think it's, uh, this, this is just my opinion. I, I can't prove any of this, but I, I believe it ties in with um, Klaus Schwab when they, they talk about how there's going to be a COVID-like internet virus that will shut down and multiply on the internet and shut down, or we're going to be hacked by the Russians. One day we're going to wake up, the internet will be down, and you're going to wake up and they're going to say, oh, the internet's different now. You need a digital ID to access it. And you can imagine all the people right. having their withdrawals from Facebook and everything. They're going to, of course, run out and grab a digital ID and be on the 5G. And that's how they'll do it. Yeah, it's pretty nefarious. It's pretty nefarious. You got, I always say you got to give them that. They've, they've had this plan in place. They've know, known how to manipulate and work people for sure. But our job is to 100% say don't buy into fear. We need you to be fierce right now. We need you to be on the front lines of asserting your rights. Knowledge is power. Make sure that you fully understand that what they're, they're doing is unlawful. They cannot infringe or impede upon your 100% guaranteed rights. And if um, more Canadians knew that at the beginning of COVID, if they'd only read the emergency order, the federal emergency order said that even under an emergency, they cannot infringe on your uh, charter rights and your on the Bill of Rights. And people would have been going to work and living their life accordingly. And that's the same 
uh, thing applies now. Know what your rights are, assert them, and please make it your business to start educating people around you. Okay, um, as for TELUS, it was still approved by the city. And I know that in the city of Surrey, at the beginning of COVID, they were doing the tracking and tracing on anybody that had a TELUS phone. And they had offered to the city to provide them that data. And so I did a call to action immediately. I said, this is illegal. This is in violation of privacy. And I can tell you their lawyers got on it right away and they had to take it very seriously. But if you're in tacit agreement with them, if you're not complaining about what's uh, happening, then they're just going to continue on. Okay, does the 2040 emissions vehicle also include private sales? Uh, the, w the way I interpret it um, is it, it actually says, I'll just bring it up here. I'll read the actual words. It says, no person shall, um, shall buy or sell a non- Mm -hmm. ZEV. That reads to me as it's illegal for everyone. So that would be personal sales. Right. Right. It's just crazy. It's ridiculous. Okay. So do was, emissions from, a, oh, sorry. Sorry. I guess like this wasn't really on the news. Maybe it was just a footnote, but why aren't they talking about this every day? Like, Hey everybody, just a mm -hmm. reminder, you're not going to have a car in six years. Like, I think people would freak out if they actually knew what the plan was. And I think we need to get this info out. Yes, absolutely. I agree. Well, they're all in on it, right? We know that the mainstream media is bought and paid for. And I don't know how these people cannot care about their freedoms and, uh, you know, not go out on a limb like a couple of people have left uh, mainstream media. There was a lady that was giving a report who worked for CBC and she just uh, morally and ethically couldn't go along with what she was being instructed to do. And we need and we're calling for more ethical uh, reporters to be helping us out on this. Okay, do emissions from cities include emissions from shipping goods to the city? Or can cities simply avoid manufacturing emissions by offshoring them? <laughs> that's, a, that's an interesting question. So... Yeah, just just in I'll just speak to the specifically to the Kamloops plan. So they they broke it down by uh, buildings and transport, and within buildings there's residential buildings, and then there's commercial. So in Kamloops there is a large commercial area that does have emissions, and we also have the the pulp mill, which I'm sure has some emissions. So they're looking at ways to reduce that, and then they're talking about just reducing um, the the housing. So that that's a great point. Usually what they do is tricky economics and they just offshore everything and it's just the same. And then we end up with more control here. Um, I'm not sure if that answers the question. Well, from what I'm, how I'm reading this is that, is it sort of a zero emissions for us because they're going to be putting offshore sh shipments? Because you know, China is going to lose a lot of business <laughs> if if we have to take account for moving their product into Canada. And so will they be responsible for the mission, emissions of bringing their product in? That's how I'm reading this, but I could be mistaken. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the world still has to go on. And like these, these changes are only applying to us. Like it, maybe yeah. they apply to everyone in the world, but it seems like the Western world is really excited about implementing this right now. 
it's just, it's insanity. I, I just as I'm going through all of this, I'm like, this somebody pinch me, wake me up. This is the twilight zone. It, it can't it's be real. It's economic suicide, but... Tanya. It's economic suicide. It absolutely is. Absolutely. Really look at it. And 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 you've got to wonder about these people that we've elected into these positions that. Uh, you know, don't have that little niggling in their gut. You know, something seems wrong here. Should I actually be signing my name to this? And uh, we got our work to do, that's for sure. Okay, uh, what would the hallmarks of a smart city be for a municipality that wants to sneak in the smart city project? Okay, so I, I would say if they're trying to sneak it in, they're using terminology that... Um, you know, you're not familiar with. So the first time I read the OCP from Kamloops, nothing really jumped out at me. And then I actually spoke to Adrienne at uh, coap.ca. I'll plug it again. And she put me onto some other words, which I looked up. So some of the words you need to look for are things like compact neighborhoods. That's talking about densification. Uh, another word for a compact neighborhood um, is mixed use centers. These are, these are just euphemisms for 15 minute city. So they're going to divide up your city and all the urban areas into these little zones, and then they're going to center everything there. Um, the other words you need to look for are complete streets and complete neighborhoods. Um, so like to the lay person, when you read this, it doesn't, it's not so obvious. And I've seen different words used in different municipalities. So that's why I really stress to everybody is to read it and understand it and then read it again, then talk to the city. And then go read it again, and it'll make so much more sense when you understand the words that they're using. Right. Know the language. I was making so many notes when uh, you were going through your PowerPoint. You had said reduce, restrict, decrease, uh, compact, complete. You had also said mass movement as a service. Yeah, Those and that, a couple that, of that's more. a new one. I just picked that one up today. So like I said at mm -hmm. the beginning, like this, this presentation is not complete. Every day I'm adding something new. And uh, just to everybody here, I'll continue to update it online and I want all this information online. And I hope that everybody here listening, I'm sure there's lots of people out here who are doing your own research for your own local municipalities, post that online, you know, and post it online for other people and start sharing it. And that's what I hope with that forum is that everybody can use that link to share this information. So I might see something and it's going to set me down the next rabbit hole, which will find the Achilles heel to get rid of all of this. And that's the goal is to right. keep us all safe. Right. And I'm even thinking that uh, through some of this information, I might revisit the notice of liability and make sure that it's as powerful and as impactful um, as it can be. And again, because we have like tens of thousands of people watching our Empower Hours now, there's many of them who it may not have heard. And I think it's worth repeating. We, during COVID, we had so many different notices of liability to stop uh, employees from getting vaxxed to get masks off children. And uh, we had success, like huge success rates. But in British Columbia, we kept 45,000 teachers and school staff working. Not one of them ended up being put on unpaid leave because we were appealing to the school board trustees about personal liability. You can't extort people. You can't intimidate them. And especially as a medical professional, they didn't have that power. And so we're doing the same thing with the SOGI notice of liability within the schools. We know that this is causing harm to children. And we also know that this is caused the, um, now with the 15 minute cities, the smart cities, this is going to cause harm. 
This is going to cause death and destruction of our economy. But I also believe that uh, this is costing, they've said, billions of dollars in some of the major cities to set all of this up. This is a misappropriation of people's funds. The taxpayers haven't voted on this. And that's a good question to uh, ask your mayor and council, right? We didn't vote on this matter. You're using our tax dollars in order to uh, implement all of this control to, within the city. So there are certain positions that you're going to need to learn to take, even it's evolving for me in my knowledge and how is it best to address the cities. And if I'm not mistaken, Jeff, like you, I think you had mentioned, you personally have gone in and spoken to the mayor of Kamloops. And is it city council as well or? So uh, un unfortunately, I, I wanted to speak to city council and, and present uh, what I had. Mm -hmm. And actually, to be honest, I'm glad that I didn't because I've learned so much more in the meantime. This is why I keep stressing, like, go, go back, read, go back, because it, it's continuously developing. So I, uh, I want to put together a presentation. And if there's anybody from Kamloops here watching, uh, I'm happy to share with them uh, Kamloops specific information. So try and reach out to me. And I did speak to the mayor, um, Mayor Hamer Jackson. He's a nice guy. Uh, the Kamloops City Council is dysfunctional from what I can see. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, my understanding is council's entrenched and they're, they're going to go ahead with this because they've been doing it for 15 years already. Why would they stop? They have no reason to. And uh, my discussions with the mayor, he, he was unaware of this. You know, and if, if you think that the mayor or any councillor is going line by line through all of these plans and they know them inside and out. I would, I would question that because it does take a lot of time and effort. Um, mm -hmm. But probably the city, the city guys are the, the city planners and the people that are, are putting these plans out are the ones that most know what's actually happening. So I, I think it's just, okay. a, it's a big job of education. We have to educate them. Really? Yeah, no. And I so appreciate you. And um, I really believe that this video that we're going to be able to take just the presentation portion. And I think that, you know, it would be a good idea to put it out there so that people could make appointments with their mayors and councils and go in. It's a little concerning, you know, because of everything that we're facing with school board trustees wanting to do a delegation to talk about our concerns. And uh, we have 100% right that even if there's a difference of opinion, that your elected officials need to listen to you. I just want everybody in the public to know that. By law, they cannot just uh, censor you and your concerns. They must listen to you. They work for you. All right. So make sure that you demand that if you come up against some opposition to them hearing you on this matter. Um, and they're going to have been also groomed themselves by the individuals that are implementing this, saying, um, even, even um, cautioning them on conspiracy theorists. When I was approaching the city of Surrey several years ago, I was already going after all of the 5G, the harm that it was going to cause. And the individuals like uh, the uh, telecommunication companies on their front of their brochure, this is how much they already knew and were aware that there was going to be public backlash on this once we started becoming aware. They actually felt a need on their on the cover page is to address uh, conspiracy theorists. Now, why would any telecommunications people do that if they believed in what it was, the product that they were selling? And if the city is the are the ones that have signed a contract, right, with TELUS to implement all of this, like they didn't, they couldn't just on their own go and implement all of this. 
There's contracts that have been signed with the city and you need to go to the city and you say, how is this being paid for? Is TELUS paying for this or are my tax dollars paying for all of this, uh, these uh, devices to go in? And I bet you're going to find out it's you, you the taxpayer that's paying for this, which means you have a right to say, I want it pulled down. Okay, so let's try to get through as many questions as possible here. Um, what happens if there is a change in provincial governments? <laughs> I would say, I think that we've sort of covered that, right? Depends yeah, that, on that's who you get step, elected. Step out of my my understanding of uh, politics at that level, but I, I would hope that if we get a conservative BC Conservative Party government, that they could stop this dead in its tracks. But... Absolutely, I I have had. Um, City councillors come to me and they were part of the uh, climate change initiatives and the sustainable development goals within the province of BC. And Trudeau literally had come in and met with the head of this committee in British Columbia with the instructions to implement. And this uh, city councillor saw that what they were doing was actually illegal and unlawful was afraid for her life in order to go to the RCMP and uh, provide the information that she had personally firsthand witnessed. So understand, very nefarious, illegal things are going on in order to uh, implement this, in order to infringe on your rights uh, to push this forward. So it's very important that we know who we vote for in the future and where they stand on these issues. Okay, and we just said, who is paying for all of this funding, the installation of all the towers? Oh, there we go. <laughs> ask, ask your city, who's funding this? Yeah, misappropriation of funds is a good word because that's unlawful, and individuals that are doing that should be removed from office. Is there a connection with the purple street lights and 15-minute cities? I'm, I'm not familiar with the purple street lights. I, I have heard some some things about LEDs being used for other things, but I, I haven't got into that. I, I couldn't speak on it. No, that's okay. I saw it on social media sometime as well, and I haven't had a chance to research it further. Uh, do you believe it will be possible eventually to purchase, oh, I wondered about this too, good question, scrambling units for your car and or house so as to preserve our privacy? Well, I, I think that's how, how things go is that technology is developed and then there's like an asymmetric response to it that the anti-technology is developed so it enables you to maintain your privacy but I, I think in this case um, by the time that those things are developed uh, and widely available if everything keeps continuing on the path that we are now I mean it, it could literally be six months from now that they roll all of this out and shut the gate on us um, and I, I'm not trying to be hyperbolic here. I, I'm trying to explain that, like, I'll, I'll use the analogy of catching wild pigs in the forest. You put some food down, the pigs come freely, they eat the food, you build one section of fence. Then the next day you build another section of fence and the pigs get used to it. They see it every day. The pigs are still free and you keep building more sections of fence over time. So that's what we're doing here is 5G, CBDC infrastructure, all this other stuff is coming around and it's building this, um, this fence around us. Technically, you're still free, but you're getting to the point where all they have to do is push one mm -hmm. button. And I think it's, there's going to be something that happens with the internet will go down. The banking system will go and we'll all wake up and they'll say, oh, this is the new thing. We got attacked by Russia. And then when, when that happens, that's it. So 
um, you know, like, I really don't want to be hyperbolic, but I, I think that most of the infrastructure is already done. It's already there. And it's just a matter of time mm -hmm. before this happens. So um, will we be, will we have enough time to get this stuff? I don't know. I haven't seen anything. And if there is, I'd love to get it. But I think by that time, they'll have 30 different ways to track you. Um, so I'm well, not sure how useful it will be. Right. And, you know, I think that we need to fight fire with fire. And if there is this uh, kind of um, scrambling devices and whatnot, uh, we should be accessing them. But quite honestly, when they're so blatantly violating your rights and they're tied to a tower that has a ground wire, I really believe that there's going to be, you know, steps that people will be forced to take. Uh, we're at war. They they have um, commenced war against Canadians, and um, you're you're you know you're you're giving this analogy of the pigs and slowly a fence being you know taken up. They don't have the intelligence to know what's happening to them, but we do. We see these fences going up around us, and we're not doing anything about it. And it's shocking and terrifying to me when all all we need to do is like there are. There are situations, there are things that uh, could be done if our mayors and city councils aren't going to listen. And the government knows that. They're anticipating this as next steps. And that's why they're trying to disarm Canadians. They're working so hard to take away people's gun rights. But yeah, it's going to be interesting. We're pleading with our government to back off and to do the right thing because we don't want to see civil war in this country. We, we want to live peacefully according to the rights that, you know, are guaranteed to us. So I don't know. That's my appeal to government leaders is please I, do the right thing and I, research I have the some, information. Some thoughts on that, Tanya. Um, mm -hmm. Just I, I think a lot of people have it in their mind. They, they're kind of aware that the government is doing all these things. They know that the fence is getting built. But what they're expecting is some sort of uh, kinetic or physical face-off, you know, maybe, maybe gun owners or somebody's got canned food up in the mountains and they're like, oh, whatever, you know, come, come take my gun, take my liberties, whatever. It'll be like, no one would ever do that. And I don't think that that's the plan at all. Like uh, what I see is this, is they, they're distracting us with the, the kids right now. Everybody's paying attention to that. And there's all these other issues. There's all this other stuff, the World Health Organization, the IHR, it's all happening at once. But while all this is happening, they've been continuously marching forward, building more sections of the fence, right? And they're, they're just getting it so that like, it, it's going to happen so fast that when they shut that gate, I think some people will just wake up and they won't even realize. Like everything will be different, but their life will be the same. And it, it's the people that, yeah. uh, that are think that they're going to have, be able to fight or there will be some sort of like conflict. I don't think there ever would be. With, and I think that's their plan. So I, I, you know, that's my opinion. I'm not suggesting that anybody fights or anything. I'm definitely not saying that. But what, what I'm saying is that uh, people should change the way that they think about this, because I don't think it's like coming up to a, a final confrontation with uh, these these world powers or these globalists. I think it's going to be a slow erosion. And then bang mm -hmm. and anybody who's not on board too bad well and i think that actually the slow erosion was happening pre-covid because as many people know i've been fighting this fight since 2015 there's been others who were 
trying to ring the warning bells and fighting it before, uh, you know, well before 2015. And so prior to that, they were passing laws and changing legislation and, you know, really uh, infringing on Canadians' rights. The freedom of speech was a hard-hitting one, which could lead to all of these uh, censorship uh, bills that Trudeau is wanting to pass right now. It's like you need to think a certain way, you need to speak a certain way, and that's really regarding the LGBTQ, and it is regarding Islam uh, because of the motion M103. And again, this isn't hateful towards, uh, you know, human beings. The gay and lesbian community or the moderate Muslim, please stop. If you're if you had a knee jerk reaction to what I had to say and thinking, oh well, that's hate or or you know I'm not being tolerant of certain individuals, we're not talking about just the average individuals within those communities. All right, they've had their platforms just completely taken over and sabotaged in order to use them to uh, shut down your freedoms of speech. That's the plan. And so while, as uh, Jeff was saying, while all of that was going on, you know, we were still also, uh, like, I, you know, for myself, I said three or four years ago, I was writing to my city about the 5G towers, wanting to prohibit them from putting them in place. And it's like, what were all of you doing? And you will probably say, I wasn't aware four or five years ago of this. Okay, but you are now. What are you willing to do now? We are the majority. It doesn't have to come to civil war if everybody stands up and says, I'm not complying with this and start writing to your mayor and city council and start opposing this. And when they see the mass, okay, so just as an example, at the beginning in my uh, weekly update, I provided the big win this week where York uh, Catholic School voted against raising the pride flag. And I hope people can understand how significant that is. The uh, radical sex activist LGBTQ have been lobbying governments for decades to get to this point where we cleared the way so now they have free access to our children. When is enough enough and when are we going to say no? Well, the Catholic school board, there was a lot of people appealing to them saying, I don't want this within my school board. Why, why are we recognizing only one community? Let's treat all of the children equally. That's fair. That's reasonable. And it's according to our constitution and the rule of law. The same goes here. Mayors and city councils, they want to get elected again. And it is the loud, squeaky wheel that's going to get the most attention. And um, Action for Canada has been, you know, implementing chapters across the nation. We have chapter leader meetings with all of our leaders so that we can implement these amazing campaigns to support. So it's not Jeff, Jeff just working in Kamloops, trying to appeal to his mayor and city council and, uh, you know, the other individuals involved in putting this infrastructure in place to our demise, but it's nationwide. We are at Action for Canada, a coalition all working in sync together. And that's where we're going to see the kind of change. And that's why I'm so grateful for Jeff having come on the show tonight to provide this really, really um, mm. critical information. All right, let's do one more question. Uh, yeah, no, I don't think so. Okay, so are we going to be safer from all this out in the rural areas of BC? Hmm. So there, I guess there, there's two things you could be safe from. Um, one would be the extra uh, electromagnetic radiation from these 5G towers, because there is a fair amount coming out of them. It's a lot higher signal strength. 
the frequency of 5G is mostly absorbed into your skin, whereas traditional uh, cell phone towers were much lower power and it actually traveled right through your body. And um, so that's that's one thing to think about. And then the other thing would be um, what's going to happen in the rural areas. So they're they're focusing on the urban areas, but they're also changing the uh, the law, not the laws, the the bylaws for the urban areas. So how are you going to get to work? Um, how are they going to limit your travel? And these things, I, I can't speak specifically for wherever you are. You're going to have to look into the official community plan for your community. And uh, it, it'll be in there. And again, you just need to take the time to look at it. But there's lots of examples from Vancouver Island uh, in Cowichan Valley. They, they found out a bunch of stuff that they're trying to do. And they're telling people they can't subdivide their land. They can't build other houses now. Um, there was another example, which was, uh, was it in Lumbee? A bunch of people went into the city council and they, they got very upset because they were told that they can't do any business. They can't work on their equipment, on their land they've lived on for 100 years. So like these are the changes that are coming. And it, it's all written in black and white. So it's there, guys. You just have to read it. Right. And just because it's written in black and white doesn't mean we have to comply to it because our exactly. rights trump what the government is putting in place right now. And when we're talking about 5G, uh, the reason the difference between going from 3G, 4G and up to 5G is it's classified as a carcinogenic, which means, as you said, it penetrates through the skin. And a carcinogenic would be uh, poisonous uh, sprays that you would put uh, you know, on your plants to kill the bugs that you know they're also banning. That's the level that the 5G is at. And the UN has actually uh, designated it as carcinogenic. So it, it's just a mockery of humanity uh, because everything that they would say, okay, well, this is dangerous, but you know what, that's okay. We're going to go ahead with it uh, because we're the globalists and it's uh, essential for our plan. And so going to 6G, I can't even imagine. It's unnecessary. and. We, you know, 5G was completely meeting everybody's needs as far as uh, this was concerned. And, and have you ever gone by a 5G? Faster. It's not any faster. And even, you know, when you're out in the boonies somewhere, you're not getting any 5G, uh, you know, uh, internet or whatever on your phone. It's it's not working. It's just not working. It's all a farce. They're all lies. And uh, people have been gobbling it up. But thank God uh, people are finally starting to question. I just wanted to finish one more. Uh, Sheila had posted here, can a person refuse having a smart meter installed on your property? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I, I refused a, a smart meter. Remove them Once they've been installed, you can have an old one installed. I believe you have that right. Yeah, I was just talking uh, to my provider the other day, and I wanted to confirm that nobody had snuck in and changed my regular meter, and I'm I'm still on the old meter. I've said I don't want a smart meter. Um, I'm getting new garage door openers, and the guy said, oh, yeah, you can get them, and they got a little camera on them. Wi-Fi said, no. <laughs> uh, why would I want a camera? They could have access. And are you aware of that, my friends, that if you have cameras in your home because you want to see what's going on when you're not at home, are you realizing that they can easily bypass your system and people could be watching you privately in your home, your little smart TV with the little camera on it. It's not so smart. <laughs> it's not smart to have all this smart stuff in your home, smart fridges, just say no. 
just, you know what? My uncle, I love my uncle. He's It's his birthday today. I'm going to be calling him as soon as I get off. I haven't had time today. He's 93. And uh, he would always say, you know, he hated all the new vehicles. He likes to roll down his window, right? Because it it just electrical just provides more problems. He could fix anything and everything. And uh, we need to go back to the simplicity and stop feeling like a bunch of spoiled Canadians and having to have all these new gadgets in our homes uh, because they're not your friend. All right. I love you enough to say these, these gadgets aren't your friend. So start getting rid of them and cleaning up your home and start stop giving them access, uh, you know, to all of your personal information and your life. And so, Jeff, you know what? Again, I'm going to say thank you. Is there anything that you would like to add in closing? Uh, yeah, I will add one thing. Um, I'm starting another website. It's called uh, SaveCanada.com. Pretty easy to remember savecanada.com and uh there should be some pretty cool stuff coming there shortly i'm in america right now and uh, i'm working on trying to connect uh the best of the united states with the best of canada and i'm basically coming down here to stump for canada so mm -hmm. uh, i'll be doing a bit of a convoy um be driving a truck from uh, where I am right now down to Texas and we'll see how long this lasts, but I'm pretty excited and I think I'm going to meet some great people. And uh, yeah, I just want to share that with you guys. Uh, this is happening and there's no turning back. So off I go and wish me best of luck. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jeff. Yeah, you need to bring some awareness to our U.S. neighbors. They're very concerned, uh, you know, about our border and the security because of all that uh, Trudeau is doing with the Chinese and uh, uh, the mass immigration and, and things like this. So it's good that you're down there bringing awareness. Uh, we've got a couple of contacts in Washington that we've been reaching out to as well. They're, they're very aware, uh, but um, they're in some big trouble there in the United States as well. So we wish yep. you safe travels and all the success. And thank you again for spending time with us tonight. All right. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks, everybody. God bless. Thank you. God bless you. All right. Wow. Didn't I tell you that this was going to be an important uh, show tonight with incredible information? All right. So next week, our guest is going to be none other than Mr. Mickey Willis. Uh, the Pandemic 3, The Great Awakening, is being released on uh, Saturday, June 3rd. And there is going to be a big uh, party involved in, in that release as well, a watch party, and you can sign up for it. We're going to provide all of this information. When I showed you on our weekly action page, we've already made uh, this available. So if you go on to Action for Canada under Call to Action, look under the weekly actions and click on the Empower. Can I actually share this page for a moment, Terenzio? Sure thing. I'm going to just take it a step further because I really want people deep to be involved before uh, Saturday. Normally, we send our calls to action out on Sunday night, but then you would miss it. And I think this is going to be really, really exciting. So it's the Plandemic Series spotlight, Spotlights and Tracks the Decades-Old Agenda that was sent into overdrive during the pandemic. It exposes the dark reality of corruption throughout government and the medical establishments the film series warns the world about the sadistic crimes against humanity that are being committed to reduce the world's population and obtain 
control of citizens globally. The Great Awakening is intended to be a lighthouse to guide us out of the storm and into a brighter future. So we'll be discussing that. And then just down below here, you can see there will be a free worldwide premier live stream event of The Great Awakening on June 3rd at 4 p.m. Pacific time. And let me see, the live stream event will feature interviews with your favorite doctors, journalists, and trailblazers. You can help wake up the world by hosting a watch party. There will be an epic giveaway and an exclusive virtual meet and greet plan for watch party hosts and attendees. So that's why you really wanna uh, become one of the hosts. And so you can sign up right there on our page. And I would just highly recommend that. It's gonna be great fun. Sorry, Terenzio, I'm just coming back. And uh, okay, so our scripture for the week. It's a short one, John 1, 5, but it's powerful. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. And so at Action for Canada, we are purveyors of truth. We are out to expose the darkness. And of course, we're firm believers that this is a spiritual battle of epic proportions of good versus evil. So we're going to bring, bring up God every chance we get because we want our nation to go back to our roots. And those roots were built on uh, Judeo-Christian principles, biblical principles. Those are really good principles to live by, moral, ethical. And uh, of course, last week I spoke a little about how Trudeau just hates any absolutes. He doesn't like there to be an absolute wrong. Uh, he can certainly talk about that there's no absolute rights. He likes those kind. Uh, but when there's no absolute wrong, that's where all of the uh, deviancy and all the tyranny is pouring into our nation. So we got to rise up for goodness. We got to rise up for God. And we just encourage you that there is light in the darkness. And that light, I believe, is Jesus Christ and God the Father. And that uh, when we appeal to Him, this nation, and when we turn back to him, that we're going to see this tyranny overturned. So we just encourage you with that today. And I encourage you, make sure that you show up next week, share that invitation with others. God bless you and God bless Canada.
You have a virtuous heart and you are here today pursuing freedom and righteousness. And then verse 23 comes along with a promise. God says he will turn the sins of evil people back on them. He will destroy them for their sins. I take great comfort in that because I serve a mighty right so i am just gonna thank you so much i'm going to say god bless you and god bless